0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Morning, everybody. Thank you, Diva. We'll invite Diva back a little bit later. Uh, Boy, we have have some ground to cover. And uh, if you come here all the time, you know that this is a learning experience. So uh, you're ready to learn. If you're here for the very first time... Uh, What's gonna happen over the next 25 minutes or so uh, hopefully will be a learning experience for you. As I was working my way through the preparation of this material, I realized that I had two choices. I could either take uh, more material than I should and cram it all into one teaching and give you sort of a fire hose of this material And pray that God would help you somehow catch it all this week. Or we could break it into two parts and make it a little more manageable. So we're breaking it into two parts to make it a little bit more manageable. Are you ready for that? All right, now I want to tell you something else. Um, I'm going to be sharing with you over this Sunday and next things that God is teaching me in real life. It's not stuff I learned in seminary. It's not something I've studied uh, in a book that someone wrote somewhere. It's not even something where I went in and did a word search in the Bible on prayer, and I've got 47 things the Bible says about prayer. Hopefully one of them will hit you. Uh, What I'm going to teach you over the the next couple of weeks are things that in my own daily walk with God and sitting with Him and opening my heart to Him There are things that he is revealing to me, not just about prayer, but about things as basic as faith and the nature of God and how he relates to us and why he answers our prayers sometimes in the way that he answers them. I love what Angela had to say last week, and we'll get into that here in just a minute. So the first week of this series yes, here we go, was we asked, what's my win in prayer? This way to pray series. And, And we came up with the conclusion that our win is to begin to look at prayer as ordinary conversations with the God who sees us, who really sees us, who sees beyond what we do, whether good or bad, who sees beyond our talents and gifts and abilities and actually can see us. And we went to a story in the Bible uh, from the life of a woman by the name of Hagar. And so if you weren't here the first week, I would encourage you uh, get on our website, go back a couple of weeks, pull that up because it's background of what we're going to teach you this week so that you can begin to look at prayer as not just sort of a speech that you make to God, but you can begin to see it as an ordinary conversation with your heavenly father who actually sees you and gets you. And then last week, Angela taught us on Does It Work? And Angela's one of our pastoral staff and uh, part of our regular teaching team. And so she did a great job. And One of the things that she challenged us with is when it doesn't seem like we're getting the answers to our prayers. And I love the fact that she used the word picture of a vending machine and that it's very easy for us to look at prayer as like, I go to my God vending machine, I I deposit a prayer and I wait for my answer to pop out the bottom. Now, by the way, when was the last time you had an ordinary conversation with a vending machine? That might tell you there's something wrong with that word picture, right? Yeah, because that's not how it works. But what she did a wonderful job of teaching us in is that even when we don't get the answer that we want, prayer always provides. God will always meet us there. Just a few minutes ago, we prayed that God would meet John in, in baptism, and he did, right? Right? Every time you and I take the time to have an ordinary conversation with God, we can be sure that God meets us there and that he will do something because we prayed, because we talked to him, because we engaged with him. Today, we're going to jump into, can I do it wrong? Is it possible to pray it such a way that God goes, I've had it with you, I don't want to hear that anymore. Till you get it right, don't talk to me. You'd be amazed at how often we, we actually, and no guilt intended, none at all. But when we're sitting in a group and someone says, would you like to lead us in prayer? Oh, no, no, I don't pray out loud. I, I understand nervousness. I understand all that kind of stuff. But you know, that same person will talk in the conversation. See, as we grow, we learn to look at prayer as an ordinary conversation, not an extraordinary one, an ordinary conversation with God. So is it possible for us to do it wrong? I think it's possible for us to do it in a way where nothing happens. I think that's entirely possible. I think it's entirely possible to do it In such a way that we misunderstand it. We're going to to jump into that. So to get us started down this path, I wanted to take us to a passage where Jesus was talking about prayer and teaching the people of his day about prayer. And here's how Jesus said it. And he was using the word picture of, of what they would understand very clearly because being a shepherd was one of the most common trades in ancient Israel. And a typical shepherd had 12 to 15 to 20 sheep. And and of course, the shepherd wanted the sheep to be safe at night. So the shepherd would come and pay to have his sheep kept in a giant sheep pen called a fold. And so, but he wasn't the only one. All the local shepherds would come and pay a gatekeeper... To to keep their sheep inside the fold and keep the wolves out and not let anyone steal the sheep. So it's in the context of the gatekeeper and the fold and the and the sheep in the fold at night that Jesus picks up this story and he says, The shepherd rocks right up to the gate. Why? Because that's a gatekeeper, is right there. And the gatekeeper opens the gate to him. And what is the next thing? And the sheep recognize. His voice. Huh. That sounds like an ordinary conversation between a shepherd and a sheep, doesn't it? They recognize his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he gets them all out, he leads them and they follow because they are familiar with his voice. Now, when I was reading that, I just felt this this question. Does it feel like that for us? When we go to have a conversation with God, do we feel like we're familiar with his voice and we're comforted by his voice and we just want to walk with him and we're so glad to hear his voice and we're so glad that he meets us or does it seem like something way more stiff and formal than that? if it seems like something way more stiff and formal, again, there's no guilt in that, but let's grow in our understanding so that eventually this can be what prayer feels like for us. Here's what Jesus also said, and again, it's describing this relationship, only this time it's not a sheep and shepherd, it's people, it's friends. Jesus said this, I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear me call and you open the door, I'll come right in and sit down to supper with you. Does that seem peaceful and calm and serene and wonderful? Yeah. So I have another question. What would be your first feeling if Jesus knocked on your door tonight at dinner? Would it be, wow, this is awesome. This is the Jesus I've been praying to. By golly, he shows up at the door. Let's go invite him in. Or would you have a few things you might want to hide and put in the right place and a little bit of heart adjustment to go through? Yeah, I think probably all of us would. Maybe the first thing would be terror. What did I do wrong that Jesus would show up at my door? What does he want to talk to me about now? There's nothing sinful about that. It just means you and I have room to grow in our understanding. And today, we're going to press into why would our first thought maybe be more terror than comfort? Because it's very clear when the shepherd shows up at the sheepfold at the gate and calls his sheep, their first thought is not terror. Their first thought is, this is my shepherd. I'm comfortable here. Good. He's going to lead me out. He's going to find me some great grass. He's going to find me some fresh water. And this is going to be a fun day. And he's going to protect me from anything that would harm me. So why would we have that first thought of terror? Well, the, I think the answer might surprise all of us. Are you ready for a one-word answer to this? Here it is. It's our imagination. And, and that's what I want to talk to us about for the rest of the morning. Because the, there's a really, really powerful and direct connection between your imagination and prayer. Now, please... I'm not saying that prayer is imaginary. Okay? Not that. But you can't pray without an imagination. Hmm. Why is that? Because imagination is what we use to picture things we can't see. That's a great thing about imagination. Way back on the first page of your Bible, there's, there's a, there's a sentence in there where God says, Hey, let's make human beings in our image to be like us. And then the Bible says that you and I were created in the image of God. And that means a ton of things. But one of the things it means is that God gave you and I the ability to see in our imagination what doesn't exist in physical form. That's a part of what God made when he made you. And that's a part of your makeup that God wants to use in order for you to step into the fullness of who he made you to be. He wants to be part of your imagination. He wants to be maybe the central part of your imagination. Because here's the truth about our imagination. Our imagination determines our perception of reality. Always has and always will. For instance, remember this? Okay? When some of us were little kids, even if you just ironed this onto a t-shirt, we got up on the back of the couch, and in our imagination, we jumped off the couch, and some of us found there was more than one way to see stars. Because to our great surprise, we didn't actually fly. That was a rude awakening. Yeah. Our imagination determined our perception of reality and we thought for sure we could fly. And I brought along another little friend. It's a little glider, okay? Because this is another way in which our imagination determines our perception of reality. Uh, I used to live in Honolulu, and one of the last things I did before leaving Honolulu and moving here to Petaluma to start this church was one of the guys that was in the church in Honolulu was a certified glider pilot. And he came up to me and he said, Pastor Ron, would you like to go for a ride in a glider over the north shore of Oahu? Yes, sir, I would like that very much. And I began to share with my friends, this Saturday I'm going to go on a glider ride over the north shore of Oahu and some of them looked at me with absolute terror in their eyes. Are you kidding me? I have a hard time getting in an airplane that has a motor. You're getting in one that doesn't have a motor? Are you nuts? I would never go on one of those. Huh. So I got in the glider with my friend. We got towed down the runway and took off, circled up to about five or seven thousand feet—I forget—and we cut the tether loose, and we caught we caught a, a thermal and we circled in the thermal and we broke out of the thermal and we glided over the North Shore. Of Oahu, and we saw amazingly beautiful things. And uh, we lost a lot of altitude, and we circled back and caught a thermal and circled up in it. And I went on a spectacular glider ride for more than 45 minutes. It was phenomenal. And I think about my friends who would never do that and what they miss. Why? Because of their imagination. Yeah. Here's an important lesson for all of us your imagination, to the best of your ability, needs to be trained to match reality. Does that make sense to everybody? Because to whatever degree your imagination differs from reality, it will limit you from doing and being all that you could be in this very real world. Now here's where this gets spiritual, okay? Take a look at this. Faith is what trains our imagination to see the realities of life that our eyes can't see. Did you know that's the purpose of faith? It's to train you to see and believe and live by things that you cannot see with your eyes, you can't touch with your hands, but nevertheless, they are as real as everything you can see with your eyes or touch with your hands. That's what faith does. It trains your imagination to see what is real. But you know what that means? It also means if we imagine it wrong, what? We do it wrong. Right? As a kid, the Superman t shirt. If you imagine it wrong, <laughs> you'll do it wrong. And it will hurt. Hmm. So, how does this play out in real life? Well, if we imagine God to be a judge. And some of us were raised in churches, and some of us have seen television shows. And, 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 you know, we get our God perception from all these different avenues of things that we have seen and encountered along the way. And some of us have come up with this idea, and it's, and it's out there everywhere. And that is God is a judge. I mean, you can go back to Pollyanna and watch the movie, and the pastor gets up and rails on the church because God is a judge. And the idea behind God is that his job is to enact justice on the world. Well, guess what? If in your imagination, your tendency is to imagine God as a judge, well, guess what? Your conversations will be those that you would have with the judge. Are those fun? Ever had a conversation with the judge? Was that fun? If somebody says to you, you know what? I think, let's go to court next week and have a conversation with a judge about something you did wrong. You go, man, that's fun. Let's do that all day. (laughs) No. No. Yeah. Well, if we imagine God to be a policeman, maybe not necessarily a judge, but a policeman, and the job of a policeman is to try to make sure that people are doing what's right, not necessarily to enact judgment, but to make them accountable for their behavior. I'm driving on Washington Street just last night. And there's a little section right across from Grocery Outlet that's 25 miles an hour. Did you know that? Yeah. And oftentimes, there's a nice little friendly reminder sitting right there. It was late at night. We were coming home from, do, from being at a friend's house, in, and I'm driving down the road, and my wife goes, oh, there's a cop right there. I look down. I'm going 26. I'm good. Right? It's that thought that if God's a policeman, well, guess what? Is prayer going to be fun for you? No, your conversations will be those that you would typically have with a cop. By the way, we have wonderful policemen and sheriff's deputies in our audience. We have a number of them. Let's have a hand for all of them. They are wonderful people. And you know what? When you're going 26, you're plenty open to a conversation. It's when you're going 45 that you might not want to have that conversation. Yeah? So, look at that. Our imagination determines our perception of reality. And what does faith do? Faith trains our imagination to see God as he really is. Not just as we imagine him to be. That's what faith does. This is the one I think we probably struggle with the most. If we imagine God to be a Santa Claus, and many of us do, I know. That's terrible theology, but that's where we are, right? God loves me, right? You know, what's the song? He's making a list, he's checking it twice. He's going to find out, what, who's naughty or nice. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a great evening. It's a great night because Santa Claus is coming to town. And there's more of Santa Claus in God, in our perception of God, than we would probably like to admit. And we think, if I've done enough good things, God should answer my prayer the way I want it answered. If I've done enough good things, Santa Claus should give me what I asked for. Right? Yeah. Huh. So if we think he's a Santa Claus, our conversation with him will be like those we have at Santa Claus. I want this, I want that, I want this, and I want that. And we wait for him to say, have you been a good little boy or girl? And what do we say? uh uh-huh. And we can't wait till Christmas morning to get what we ask for. And when we don't get it, we cry and, and we question whether Santa Claus is real. Have you been there? Sure, you were there as a kid. Yeah. It's amazing that our faith hasn't grown beyond that. I love, I love what Jesus said one day. And some people came to him and they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. This is how he answered them. This is your father you're dealing with. Stop right there. This is not Santa Claus. This is not a a, a celestial policeman. This is not the eternal judge of the world. This is your father you're dealing with. With a God like this, loving you, what's Jesus doing? He's using faith to retrain their imagination to see God as he really is. This is your father you're dealing with. With a father who loves you like this, you can pray very simply, this is like this, our Father in heaven. And he launches into, if you grew up in a in a formal church or a Catholic church or maybe any church, this is commonly called the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father Prayer. He said, you can pray simply like this. What is prayer? An ordinary conversation with the God who sees you. Now, Jesus' brother James said this, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Huh. We sit here and go, well, that's not my problem. I've been asking. He goes on to address what might be our problem, and that is, and you don't have it, and even when you ask, you don't get it. Why? Because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. No, I'm not going to deal with all that this Sunday. We're go- you're going to have to come back next week because I-, I want to leave us with a question and then a scripture. And the question is this. What if the real purpose at the heart of prayer, the real question at the heart of prayer isn't what will God do for me? What if that's not the real question? What if the real question is this? What will I do in life I'm so sorry. That's very distracting. What will I do in life, and how can I invite God to partner with me in that? And this is where I think we're going to learn a lot of brand new stuff next week. I want to leave you with a passage of Scripture. And this is from the life of David, and we're using David, and we're reading uh, selected passages from from the prayers that David prayed that are preserved for us in the Bible, in the section called Psalms. And this is one of the prayers that David prayed. And we're using David as our example, our experiment. Let's learn to have ordinary conversations with God the way David did. And David wasn't, God, what will you do for me? Here it is. God, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your pleasure, And the pleasures of living with you forever. What a beautiful and wonderful way to engage with the God who sees us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you see us exactly as we are. Thank you so much you've given us faith that trains our imagination to see you as you really are. And to see life as it really is. And God, we just confess that we get that wrong a lot. We imagine you to be something you're not. And we imagine life to be something that it actually isn't. But we are growing in our understanding. And you are training our imagination so that week after week, it becomes more closely attuned to how things really are. We thank you for that. Would you help this to be another great week of growth? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.